Hi, I'm Caroline Rocha. I'm the Director of Cornea and Refractive Surgery at the Medical University of South Carolina, Storm Eye in Charleston. Hi, I'm George Waring from the Waring Vision Institute in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Great. Welcome, George. Thank you. Welcome to you. It's great to be here. Thank you. So we're going to talk about IOL selections and patient selections. We're going to discuss some cases today and talk about premium IOLs. Have we ever talked about this before? Together? I th yes. Once or twice? <laughs> A few times. All right, let's do it. <laughs> Great. Um, so um, let's see what would you do. So I'm going to share some of my patients, patients that came to see us, and I'm sure going to share some of your cases. Okay, so this is a 78-year-old female that comes in for cataract evaluation. Okay. So this patient, uncorrected visual acuity was 2400. Patient was hyperopic with two diopters of against the rule astigmatism. And when we look at the corneal tomography, so the patient had about 1.3 diopters of against the rule astigmatism. So what would you do? Well, looking at the tomography here, we can see that um, the tomography is regular, and that's important to acknowledge. And um, that we know a few things. What we heard is that the patient is um, 78 years old uh, with cataracts. So we are making an assumption that they have, they're having a visual complaint that justifies cataract surgery. Uh, number two, they're uh, hyperopic. And how hyperopic are they? Plus four. Oh, wow. So really hyperopic, probably with narrow angles, I assume, as well. And then um, uh, astigmatism, but regular against the rule astigmatism. So this patient really depends on their goals. Now, you had also mentioned something very important, that their goals were some spectacle, uh, relative spectacle independence. That's what I heard. And, you know, more and more, that's the option that we're presenting, too, because, you know, our philosophy is we want to kind of fix anything that we can while we're in working. You know, we don't want to leave a stone unturned. So that really is our goal as well, and it's always great when the goals align, right, when our stars align. So with that said, we want to be thinking about looking at their macular health. All right, so my question to you is, how is their macula healthy? It's a great question. Normal uh, macular OCT. Great. Um, and I'm going to make an assumption that they've got some dry eye uh, normal for a 78-year-old, but not severe dry eye. Is that correct? That is correct. Great. So I would be thinking about utilizing a diffractive or a hybrid diffractive technology in this case. Um, you know, the Synergy lens has been um, a, a, a mainstay in our practice uh, for being able to deliver a full range of vision with excellent quality. Um, furthermore, to do this, we have to address their, what we call their focus problem. So we always show them their astigmatism. We don't really talk about astigmatism. We just say, hey, look, your eyes are like a pair of binoculars. To see well, you got to focus and have a clear lens. Here's your focus problem. So we'll show them the, the, the little astigmatism on their topography. So to do that, we're going to use an astigmatism correcting lens or a toric lens. Um, we always think about against the rule as being, we want to be twice as aggressive treating against the rule astigmatism compared to with the rule astigmatism. And that's really important. One thing's for sure, with these advanced technologies, we have to nail our endpoints. We really have to um, make sure we have residual, uh, um, no residual refractive error, if at all possible. And, uh, but these patients just do great. The other main thing is that we have to explain that they're going to see these lenses work afterwards, and that's important to set expectations. So they may see a little starburst, a little halo, a little frosting. Um, very important because that's how they know the lens works. 
And so every single one of our patients hears that so that they can expect it. But the good news about this is that this patient is already seeing things around light. So they've already become accustomed to it. We're gonna fix all that. So in summary, we would use a hybrid uh, diffractive technology that um, is an EDOF plus multifocal, such as the Synergy, Toric, because of the nature of the against rule astigmatism and the amount they have, essentially 0.7 diopters or greater against the rule, we use a Toric lens. And essentially double that for with the rule. So if it's about 1.4, 1.5, we use a Toric lens or more. So yeah, but we've had a great experience with these and, and just love it. And the Hyperopes really, really love it because guess what? They can't see anywhere, right? Great point. So if you look at the J&J Torah calculator, that's exactly what we did. We entered the case and we remember you need to click that box to include the posterior uh, corneal astigmatism with the PCA. And yes, the patient needed a toric lens. So we performed surgery with the Synergy lens, uh, a toric version. And remember, the Synergy comes in the toric 2 version that um, with frosted haptics that really definitely adds some friction to the capsular bag. So how has been your experience with the Toric 2? You know, the, the Toric 2 was, um, was sort of a game changer for Toric technology. We, we were very fortunate. We had the um, wonderful opportunity to implant the first commercial Toric 2 on the, in the world, actually. And, um, and it is, it's a very unique lens. It's got a, um, a frictional element to the haptic and also a, a, a relief of a squared edge on the haptic. And both of these um, we, uh, adds to uh, what we believe to be a um, less rotation opportunity. I mean, it really is an extraordinarily stable lens that you feel and you notice um, even at the time of IA, you just don't see the lens rotate. Um, it's, it's, very, it's, it's quite remarkable seeing the innovation in toric lenses evolve like this. How, what about you? Yeah, no, I agree with you. And in terms of surgical technique, you know, it's a little bit different with the toric too. I think if you need to rotate that lens more than three clock hours, I usually want to make sure we have viscoelastic in the bag. And then I position the lens very close to the final axis, and I like to remove viscoelastic behind the lens. But I agree with you, during the IA, the lens doesn't move. Great, great points and great pearls. Very important because um, you do have to pay attention to that. We don't want to put any extra stress on the bag or the zonules whatsoever. Um, the other thing, by doing the IA under the lens to remove your visco, you, you decrease the chance of uh, a jump uh, where you don't have to do any micro rotations. The other thing uh, that's important, the only other pearl I would add is waiting for the, the haptics to fully deploy um, and then it gets seated beautifully and then really you don't see rotation, I mean hardly at all after that. Great. And you mentioned the Synergy technology. Can you share with us? I know it's a new lens. You mentioned multifocal diffractive bifocal plus EDOF technology. So the Synergy technology really is a, is a, a groundbreaking uh, technology. It's the, it's the first of its kind in terms of a hybrid EDOF and multifocal, in this case, diffractive bifocal. And when we superimpose in our brains our defocus curves, this is unique because instead of the traditional peaks and troughs, this, the EDOF component smooths out what the diffractive bifocal technology would show you on the defocus curve. So it really gives a full through focus and performance. Furthermore, 
It is the first lens that we've ever had in the United States that gives sort of a, a almost a fourth focal point, if you will, although this is a continuous range, it gives what we're calling very near. So we've gone from distance, intermediate, near, now to very near. So it, we, we don't have to choose anymore. We can just, and we don't really even have to counsel about reading glasses because it's so robust. And lastly, it's the first lens of its kind that, that offers low light reading. And, and so, and that's just wonderful. And, and you know, we, we've really never, we've not had access to that before. And it's, um, so now it kind of checks all the boxes in terms of offerings we've not had access to. Full range, an extra reading point, and also low light reading. Yeah, all great points And that you mentioned contrast, right? When we think about the Synergy lens, I think some of the key features in terms of the optics of the lens. One, the lens has a really high Abbey number, so you're not adding chromatic aberration. Plus, remember the Symphony technology, right, that corrects for chromatic aberration. And then we're adding the violet filter. So the violet filter enhances contrast and minimizes all the night vision symptoms, the starbursts, and um, spider webs. So I think that is very neat for our patients. Yeah, it's um, so not only and and it's not only um, passive uh, protection and improvement for our, our contrast sensitivity, but also these active mechanisms too, which um, really do perform. And um, it's yeah, it's quite it's quite an extraordinary implant. We're very thankful to have access to it. Great. Boom. Well. Our patient, as you can see, she did really well. She was very happy, you know, really fantastic distance vision, and she was J1+. So she was so happy. She was reading for her grandkids for the first time without glasses. I'm sure she was thrilled, uh, starting at plus four with a couple diopters of against the rolling astigmatism. I can only imagine how happy she was. Wonderful. Thank you. Dr. Rocha, I'd like to present a case uh, to you and see how you would handle this. Um, here's a 65-year-old who has cataracts with appropriate complaints and uh, basically says that she'd like her cataracts fixed but wants to be spectacle-free after cataract surgery. She does not want to wear glasses. Um, she has dry eye, all right? She's got two to three plus nuclear sclerosis and combined cataracts. And, um, but um, she has a couple other things that she wants to offer in her history. Um, she has a neighbor, uh, and her neighbor was not happy with her procedure because she's seeing some things around lights and does not want to go through this. She does not want to deal with issues for nighttime driving because she still drives at night, and that's a real concern for her. She also goes on to talk about um, the fact that she has five cats, and um, when you uh, look at her medical history, um, the technician points out, oh, by the way, she has, she's allergic to 11 different medications. Uh, and you might characterize her personality as type A, A, A. So very, very, very focused, no pun intended, on some of these issues. So um, the, I wanna show you her topography, right? Um, we already mentioned that she's got dry eye. Um, and her refraction is, she's a, she's a moderate myope, sort of mild to mild. She's minus three with a diopter of against the rule astigmatism, okay? And so she reads, and she does not want to give that up either, 
All right, so let me show you her topography, and um, I want to just kind of talk about how you would approach this case. Mm -hmm. So if we look at her topography, um, what do you see and what do you think? And then just go ahead and tell us about how do you approach a case like this? Yeah, Dr. Wainer, those are real-life cases, right? So those mild, moderate myopes are really hard patients to please, and it's a really great example of a patient with unrealistic expectations, right? I want it, and I want it all. I don't want to see halos or starbursts around lights. So definitely want a more, I would say, conservative approach planning this case, but no question this patient has against the rule astigmatism, and we need to address that, right? So you want to be able to offer the best possible um, vision um, after surgery, and as you can see, is likely irregular astigmatism, right? So, and I understand that the patient's dominant eye is the left eye. That's correct. So here's how I would approach this patient. I know we, there's different technologies in terms of EDOF, or extended depth of focus lens, and that may be a patient that I would be a little more conservative sometimes with diffractive optics to start with. So my approach would be probably using a bean-shaped eye well, for example, the Vividi lens for the dominant eye. That's how I would start. Of course, toric, right? If you run your calculations with your Barrett calculators or online calculators, you want to make sure you include the posterior corneal astigmatism. But for this patient, I would do one eye and see how the patient does. And as you know, for all the EDOF lenses, right, they have a good range of distance to intermediate vision but sometimes they would still need some reading glasses, right? So this patient comes back, um, patient is seeing better, the distance intermediate, but then the patient wants more. Right, so she was minus three to start, right? But she doesn't want glare and halos and, and uh, any of the other things that might show us that these diffractive uh, technology perhaps might be working. So but now she's not happy about the fact that she has lost her reading vision in that eye. So what did you do? Great, yes, it's definitely a great case. So now, dominant eye has really, we nailed the distance, right? Because it's really important. Patients, they demand the distance vision for driving at night. And again, we chose a technology, the Vivity lens, that patients, they usually don't present with spiderwebs or starbursts around lights. Um, and for the non-dominant eye, I, we can consider a trifocal lens, right? So because, again, the trifocal lens will give a good distance, intermediate vision at 6 centimeters, and then a good reading near point to balance. So that's a great combination for a patient like this with a, a favorable dysphotopsia profile, a full range of vision, and, you know, you take somebody who, again, who wants it all, um, and uh, who starts out with great reading vision, I mean, J1+, plus, and, um, and you've got to be able to preserve that. So that's a, a, a wonderful way to, to kind of customize your way that you approach this. So let's just kind of talk a little bit about candidacy for trifocal uh, lenses. I mean, what runs through your mind when you're thinking about who's an ideal candidate for a trifocal lens and who's not? Great. I mean, number one, you want to check the ocular surface and the topography, right? We're looking for normal topography. So you want to make sure you optimize the ocular surface prior to cataract surgery. You want to make sure you have a really good biometry and measurements pre-op. 
right? So, and we need to nail the stigmatism. We don't want, because these lenses, any diffractive technology, all these special lenses, they are very sensitive to any residual refractive error. And of course, I always do a, uh, I look at the macula. I just do a macular OCT for every single patient. And patients that are, you know, seeking glasses independence for distance, intermediate, and near vision. Now, this patient's interesting because we actually, um, you chose a, um, a vividity in the dominant eye, and we also observed that the topography was not totally regular. So did that play into your thinking in the case that we just discussed? Yes, yes. And then for that patient, specifically, if you look at the, within that visual axis, you can actually, patient had a regular astigmatism, right, with mild dry eyes. So, and then again, we want to treat the ocular surface, and then the patient did really well. But I think it was a really unique case here with a very type A personality patient, concern about um, dysphotopsias at night, and you know, specifically, you know, had a neighbor that had you know, older technology with um, dysphotopsias at night um, that we were able to manage, you know, using different technologies. Well, and I think probably the take-home message here is that we can still provide this technology even with five cats and 11 allergies. It's, yes, 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 yes. Of course, you want to manage patients' expectations, right? And again, I think it's always the science and art of matching the technology to the patient's needs, right? Again, that patient comes back happy with the distance vision, um, no dysphotopsias in the dominant eye, but patient wanted more. So, Dr. Eric, can you talk a little bit about the trifocal technology? Well, the, you know, the, the trifocal technology is, is, uh, is quite extraordinary, too. Um, we have access to the panoptics lens in the United States, which, again, was the first of its kind. Uh, so, added an additional focal point to our uh, defocus curves. And again, it helped us not have to choose in terms of, do you want to focus on your distance or your near, because now we've kind of got all three. And the panoptics is a great lens. It's a, uh, um, this lens is, has a really wonderful dysphotopsia profile, meaning that um, we, uh, the, the, the counseling about dysphotopsias are always important when we're using any sort of diffractive technology, um, but it's less important because the profile, it's so favorable. And I think that's why for this patient, it made perfect sense. But again, it still provided the reading range that you needed, which, because she would not be happy to give up her, her reading range. So, um, so great technology. And, um, and what, 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 how, what else would you add uh, to, to that? Yeah, and I would like to add, you know, again, the trifocal has a pretty good light transmission for a trifocal lens, 88%, right? And if you look at the diffractive optics, it's within the 4.5 millimeters, and it's a pupil-independent lens. Great points, and I think that really um, summarizes why these lenses were such great choices for this very difficult patient to manage. I mean, um, you know, bravo, uh, great job. Thank you. Caroline. I've got a case for you. All right, we've got a young patient with cataracts, 57, with pretty significant dry eye for his age. And when you look under the microscope, uh, something becomes very apparent, that he's got 
pretty significant epithelial basement membrane dystrophy, two to three plus maps uh, centrally. All right. And when we look at his topography, what you see is pretty significant irregularities on his topography. So, so advanced irregular astigmatism. What do you do? Yeah, great question, uh, George. I think it's very important um, to, when you see an irregular topography, right, to rule out what we call the dry eye masquerade. That can be epithelial basement membrane, cells monodrous, the region. It's really important to address the cornea prior to um, cataract surgery. So I think for that case specifically, I would definitely consider SK, PTK treatment, and then you can repeat your measurements, right? This patient, sometimes they're seeking glasses independence after surgery, and then we can offer, um, you know, um, advanced technology. You know, um, it's such an important point. Whenever we see irregular uh, astigmatism, even if it's not readily available and, and readily noticeable on the slit lamp exam, we have to dig deeper sometimes, and it's, I'm always amazed with when we look real closely, when we can find some epithelial basement membrane changes. And SK is such a wonderful tool in the toolbox that um, for any cornea specialist or a, a general ophthalmologist, that we can really help these patients do better. So where do you go from there? Well, patient comes back, and as you can see, the topography looks completely different, much better, right? So I think for that patient with still a little bit of irregular stigmatism, my approach was to offer a um, premium monofocal lens or enhanced monofocal lens that these patients, they can benefit. Of course, they have really great distance vision, and these lenses, they offer a slightly extended depth of focus. So I know this is one of your research interests, but tell me a little bit more about how you set this patient up to get the broadest range possible in this circumstance. Great. So again, um, for the patient's dominant eye, you know, we used, in this case, the iHANS IOL. And just to talk a little bit about the iHANS technology, it's a monofocal lens, very similar to the ZCBU with negative spheric aberration that compensates for fourth order spheric aberration, but this lens has a slightly add power centrally. And this is a very, very special feature, you know, for this monofocal new category of, of uh, monofocal lenses, because again, these patients, they have distance vision and a slightly extended depth of focus. In this case, I would target Plano for the dominant eye and for the non-dominant eye, just a mini monovision, minus 0.75. Um, these patients, they can definitely benefit from the distance. Um, and then for the um, contralateral eye, even when you target minus 0.75, they still have a really great distance vision. Sometimes even 20-25, right? So the both eyes, they blend, and these, these patients, they can benefit from a little continuous range of vision with this technology. Yeah, and the other nice thing is that you're maintaining their um, depth perception as well by minimizing the anisometropia, which we know that as little as 0.75 diopters of anisometropia can affect uh, stereopsis adversely. So, you know, that's a great approach for these cases where we wanna be a little more conservative. And in summary, you're 57 year old with cataracts, dry eye, but real manifest EBMD uh, with irregular astigmatism. So you manage that with a SK in advance, and then you come back with an enhanced monofocal with a, a mini monovision of the minus 7.5 diopter offset. And how did the patient do? 
did fantastic. And that this approach is what I call, you know, the premium monovision. Because again, you're not, the near eye is not that 2200 per distance or 2100, right? The patients, they can lose the depth of perception. Yeah. Fabulous case. And thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Dr. Mary, I have another case for you. So uh, we have a 70-year-old um, male comes in for cataract surgery. Um, again, asking for presbyopia correcting lenses. So this patient is minus four, moderate myopia. And then you do your workup and your macular OCT and this patient has epiretinal membrane in the left eye. Right eye, normal topography, normal foveal contour, uh, without macular thickening. How would you approach this cases? So Dr. Rocha, when we look at the macular OCT, we see that the, the right eye effectively looks normal, but the left eye has a significant epiretinal membrane with foveal distortion. So we have to use some caution when we approach this patient in terms of our lens selection. Now, we know two things. The patient is already a moderate myo, so they have reading vision. We do not want to take away from them. And number two, they've expressed interest and stated that their goals were for spectacle independence. So to do this, we need to think about how, how, are, how are we gonna address this and think about each eye individually, not just the patient, but each eye. So with the right eye, the good news is that the, 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 the eye is healthy. They have a cataract, but the topography is normal, the macula is healthy, and we can fix the cataract. So we can really push the range here with a hybrid EDOF multifocal or the synergy lens in this case to get the maximum range possible. And that's important because we may not be able to do that in the eye that has macular pathology. So that's what we do for, the, uh, for this eye, all right? Now, for the eye with the macular pathology, we, this is, in our book, this is really not a candidate for a, a, a full range lens such as a Synergy or even a trifocal. I mean, these eyes have to be perfectly healthy for these lenses to work well, in our opinion. So what are our options? Well, the softball, if you will, would be an enhanced monofocal. These patients can do fa fabulous. Outstanding contrast. Um, we don't know the future of how this eye might heal after surgery. They're more prone to cystoid macular edema after surgery because of the tension on the macula. Um, and so we want to have something that's going to be forgiving. In addition, we, we don't know the natural history of the epiretinal membrane in this patient. Now, we could think about an EDOF category for this eye as well, such as the Symphony or the Vivity. Um, you know, these lenses do tend to be more forgiving and, and also with IOLs such as the Symphony, I mean, these are outstanding contrast too. So this is something that we consider depending on the motivation of the patient, they would have to be highly motivated. Number two, also depending on the nature of their epiretinal membrane. So we really do have some options in customizing uh, our, how we would approach this, these patients, um, but we are a big fan of maximizing the full potential in terms of the range of vision on the healthy eye and perhaps customizing it and being more conservative in the eye that may have some pathology. All great points, Dr. Waring. Again, now we're seeing membranes and some drusens that we're only seeing because we have OCTs. They were definitely looking for retinal pathology, macular pathology, right? Sometimes as a patient with a small epiretinal membrane, extra foveal and normal foveal contour, 
So these patients, they can benefit from presbyopia correcting lenses. We have a lot of great options or EDOF technology. But I agree, we need to be more conservative in eyes, you know, with distortion and thickening. Patients, you know, that again, they can lose contrast, right? And the, the lenses, they don't work well. Um, sometimes diffracted technology may not work well um, in these patients or trifocal lenses. So all great points. Well, that was a great case, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity to get to discuss this with you. Thank you very much.